Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. On 2-1 pitch. And a drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. A game-winning grand slam home run off the bat of Robin Ventura. Hey. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza. And the Mets lead three to two. Turner drives one to center, chasing Nimmo back to the warning track, right at the fence. He made the catch! Oh, wow! The catch of the year for Brandon Nimmo! He took a home run away from Justin Turner! Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in 10, 9, Welcome to another episode of the Shea Hello Podcast. My name is Casey Lynn, and I am joined by former Major League pitcher, former Met Bill Pulsifer, as we are underway, unbelievably, episode number 14. This episode is brought to you by Roots-Recordings.com, and a special shout out to our producer, Steve White, behind the scenes, and of course, everyone listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube at Shalo Media and listening wherever you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. Google, Spotify, you name it. Apple, of course. And first and foremost, Mr. Pulsifer, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, it has been a week as the Shalo Podcast is a weekly podcast. Uh, there's a lot of different ways we could go. Uh, a lot has happened in the last 48 hours. Uh, let's start with something that happened a couple days ago, the World Series, as we were speaking about it uh, last episode. And we didn't know at that time what the outcome was going to be, Rangers and Diamondbacks. And finally, we can put a bow on the 2023 regular season and postseason with the Rangers winning four games to one in the World Series. Uh, what were your thoughts on the World Series, uh, Rangers' first World Series ever in their history? Um, I think it was competitive, uh, even though it was, you know, four games to one. I think both teams played relatively well. Um, surprised, obviously, that the Diamondbacks made it as far as they did, and the Rangers were just a juggernaut in the playoffs throughout the whole well, – they lose one game in the playoffs. So uh, they were a powerhouse, and I think that they're going to continue to be a very competitive team. Yeah, I was uh, kind of not – I didn't understand how the Diamondbacks – lost all that magic to be basically swept at home in the final three games of the World Series. They went back 1-1 to Arizona and lost all three. Uh, I was surprised by that, but it just shows you home field in baseball. I mean, it just showed this year at least very much so. Uh, I believe the Rangers won every game on the road. Home field yeah. doesn't mean all that much in Major League ba or, or Baseball. Yeah, I think um, obviously, like we said, anything can happen in, in baseball, and it usually does. Um I just think that the Texas Rangers were the, the better team. 
Uh, obviously, they went through some struggles right towards the end of the season, but then they got hot at the right time and they showed what they were made of. And uh, they were just they were just too much for the Diamondbacks. Obviously, the Diamondbacks were a little little less experienced too. They a little more veteran uh, presence on the Rangers, and um, they uh, they were they were something they were something else. But to uh, put a bit tie into that as well, congratulations to all the Mets that were involved or former Mets. Uh, Bruce Bochy, manager, four-time champion now, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, of course, Jacob DeGrom, who only had 30 innings, I believe, under his belt for that reign. Scherzer, who pitched uh, a little bit as well, helped out of the regular season, not so much in the postseason. Travis Jankowski, uh, Chris Young, their general manager, former Met, uh, and uh, who am I forgetting? There is one other um, man. But uh, I believe that that covers it all, actually. Uh, I think it is. Yeah. Congratulations to them. First ever World Series for the Rangers. Uh, could not imagine how their fans feel, you know, seeing the, that first championship parade. You know, one thing, uh, to go back to last podcast with, with Hondo passing, I thought it was kind of uh, fitting that the Rangers end up winning the World Series, being that Hondo was actually the – the first person to hit a home run is a Texas Ranger. So yeah. kind, of, kind of kind of strange and kind of cool how things work out in baseball sometimes. Same week that he passes away, they win their first ever. Yep. Uh, yeah, that is kind of coincidental and fitting. So yep. that's a good tribute, again, to uh, Frank Howard. Absolutely. Uh, so we have some big news in Mets land that I'm sure everybody has been talking about and will be talking about uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, as we discussed on previous podcasts, Craig Council – and basically just Craig Council of who the Mets probably will bring in uh, to be their next manager after they fired Buck Showalter. And it turns out Craig Council went to the Cubs. No one saw that coming, especially Brewer fans. Uh, a record $8 million a year, five years, $40 million record. Uh, it was a little bit more, I think, than Joe Torrey when all said and done. Um he was, he was said that he wanted to set the standard for managers and salaries. Open about that. Uh, Carlos Mendoza, new manager for the Mets. Uh, there's a lot of different ways we can go about this because the Brewers and their owner, their fans, they're mad. You know, because the Brewers and the Cubs, that's, that's a rivalry right there. They're only 90 miles away from each other. And no one saw that coming. Um, so I want to get your take first, I guess, on the Craig Council, uh, Council uh, situation. Uh, I have my thoughts before we get into the, the new manager of the Mets, Carlos Mendoza. Um, obviously, not not what we were we were thinking or expecting no. or hoping, maybe. But um, I guess it makes sense. You know, he was talking about um, wanting to take a year off to be around his family. So maybe, you know, being, like you said, 90 miles away keeps him relatively close on off days. He can go home. He definitely probably made a lot of Brewers fans very angry as we um, I, I played for the Brewers. So I know the rivalry between the Brewers and the Cubs. Uh, I know that everybody always talks about the Cardinals and the Cubs being a yeah. huge rivalry. But um, the Brewers and the Cubs is definitely, definitely a big rivalry as well. Um, good for him getting the money. I mean, I still think that if it, Tory shoot, Tory hasn't been a manager for a long time. So I still think in in. 2023 dollars i think tory probably still ended up with the with a better deal but uh still to yeah. just to be the highest paid manager in the game and to haven't won a world series yet that's um that's i guess that's impressive for him yeah uh listen i, I just heard a couple of interviews the the gm meeting started uh this week in arizona and david stearns is talking uh, uh as the 
uh, Mets uh, P.O.B.O., uh, President of Baseball Operations. And they asked him, what do you think about Craig Council going to the Cubs? I mean, he just worked with them for his whole career. And he said he was shocked. He did not see that coming because no one did. But when you take a step back, I think we all would have done the same thing. He did what was right by him and his family. He got paid. He wanted to be around his family. And, you know, at the end of the day, players do it all the time. They take the top dollar and geographically, you know, sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it did. And other than that, I don't see anything wrong with it. The only thing I don't know, and it's not confirmed, whether he allowed the Brewers to match it. You know, because if you're there seven years and you have a good standing relationship with your owner and GM who is, you know, not uh, Matt Arnold, I believe his name is, their GM, who took over for Stearns. That's the only thing I would hope that uh, he said, hey, you want to match $8 million a year to pay me? Um, I don't know if that happened. Um, but he took care of his family, and I can't honestly say there's anything wrong with that. Well, I would I would think that if uh, uh, Cohen didn't match that offer, that the Brewers probably wouldn't weren't going to match that offer either. But uh, yeah, it makes it makes sense for him. Uh, probably quite a few teams out there that are a little upset that they didn't get probably the the hottest guy on the market. But um, good for him. And now uh, the Mets obviously have made a, a, a decision, and they they've got their new manager. I'm glad that you brought that up um, because the Mets, how they tie into this is that everyone thought Council was going to go to the Mets because of the uh, David Stern's tie. Uh, obviously, he did not. He took everybody surpri- by surprise. and we, I didn't even bring this up, but you know they had a manager, by the way, David Ross, who they basically said, goodbye, we're hiring someone better than you or we want more than you. And to me, that wasn't classy. Uh it was, I don't know how they went around it, you know, closed doors, but they had a manager. It's not like they had an open vacancy. So uh, that was a little weird. And, well, I mean, uh, I guess they can, they, you know, they can say that over past performance other than this year and then falling short this year, that there was a right for, a, you know, for termination. And if they felt like there was a better candidate out there, um, you know, they were going to do what they feel was best for the organization. Yeah. Uh, I always kind of see Ross more as a, a TV personality as a manager. I don't know him, so I could be wrong. But, um, yeah. you know, it's it's obviously been hard to win in, in Chicago. But now that they got the taste of that World Series, I think the expectations are um, are higher every year than they may, may have been in, in years past or decades past. So going back to what I was going to say, <laughs> bless you or whatever that was. The cough. Oh, well, bless you anyway. <laughs> um, going back with the tie-in with the Mets, Steve Cohen – uh, as you mentioned before, we all thought that maybe council, just like players in the past or whatever other personalities, have used the Mets and Cohen mostly for his deep pockets. It turns out this did not happen. Um, the Mets made their offer. is It is confirmed way less than $8 million, And Steve Cohen was not going to allow Craig Council to use him as leverage to get more money, which uh, I'm, I'm very happy to hear. Because players and uh, agents have done that in the past. And I think, and I can be wrong, I was not on the phone call. And I was not in person in their meetings. But Steve Cohen's a shark. He's worth $19 billion for a reason. I'm sure he realized right away that Council's heart wasn't in New York. you know. And he probably was like, well, if that's not the case, why the hell am I going to offer this guy $8 million a year? Or whatever he wants. Um, so I'm happy to hear that. 
Steve Cohen was not used as leverage and bait for other people's agendas. And that's, you know, a good thing because it shows to everybody else, you can't use my deep pockets, you know, because I'm going to outsmart you. We've been here. I've learned my lesson. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, I Part of it could be that uh, Stearns wanted to, it could be that. It could be council didn't, you know, Midwest guy didn't want to be on the East Coast. And it could be Stearns wants somebody like uh, Mendoza, who he hired, who he can yeah. uh, have his finger on the pulse of what's going on, maybe a little bit more than maybe maybe there is some underlying things with council that were going on in, in uh, Baltimore. I mean, excuse me, in Milwaukee, uh, being that now that council is, you know, a veteran, you know, veteran manager. He probably wants a little bit more of a say, and maybe that's not um, the way that Stearns wants to look at things. And the the owner, Cohen, has uh, all of his trust in, in Stearns. Well, that, I mean, it crosses off Craig Council, a lot of moving parts in the managerial, you know, musical chairs with uh, Council. Now to the Cubs, opening Milwaukee. Uh, Stephen Vogt went to Cleveland. That had a, vog- a vacancy. He, he a former, he, uh, uh, a former uh, played for a lot of teams, actually um, two-time All-Star. He's the new manager, first-time manager with the uh, Indian uh, <laughs> Guardians, and uh, yeah, that leaves now. The- <laughs> I agree uh, with Andy Martino, who's a reporter for SNY. After Council went to the Cubs, if the Mets didn't sign Carlos Mendoza, who was the hot commodity after Council. There's no question that the Brewers would have went after Mendoza and probably overpay for him. So that brings us, I don't know if you agree with that, but that brings us to the Mets have a new manager, Carlos Mendoza. Come on down. And I'm, I'm, a lot of people don't know about Carlos Mendoza, but I know it, it was, uh, it took me a little while to be like, what just happened? You know, um, we went from Craig Council talk. Buck Showalter last year, 101 win season the year before, to basically a guy who anyone would tell you they don't know much about. Um, I know him. I played with him in winter ball. Um, Please, tell us. <laughs> he was a good guy, good infielder, you know, had a minor league career. I, uh, the game has changed. That's all I'm going to say. I think that there's, you know, I'd like to see this team under a veteran manager. Uh but that's that's not for me to decide. I think that um, obviously you got to start somewhere, and uh, well, they all do. Mendoza's got going to start here. Um, as an old crotchety former major league baseball player, I'm not a huge fan of non-former major leaguers telling major leaguers how to play in the major leagues because you don't know what it's like standing in that box or fielding that ground ball. Yeah. You do it at a certain level, but not at the third deck level. But um, I hope I hope for the best. Uh, would have, I think, I, you know, who my guy was Ron Washington. Obviously he's never going to get a chance again, which I think is a crying shame because the people that, Oh, I heard he's with the, on the angels list. But like you said last week, the Mets have to, uh, interview a minority. So I hope that that's not the case. And it's actually a, uh, a real deal that he's on that list there because I think he deserves oh, another yeah. chance. Yeah. You mean the angels have to, uh, the angels. Yes. Right. Well, you said the Mets had to last week. So obviously the angels have to as well do the same rule. Right. So, uh, yeah, Ron Washington. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to be a first first year guy well, that you might have never even heard of because that seems well, to be the well, way. So Walter and Ron Washington are in the, the the hat for the Angels. Whoever wants to take over that fiasco, good luck. You know. Yeah. Buck, Buck clearly wants to manage 
Uh, I don't know if Ron Washington wants to leave where he is in Atlanta right. for that fiasco in Southern right. California. Uh, but, you know, good luck to them if they but, do. Sorry. Back to Mendoza, yeah, no. though, because that's, that's the most important thing. It's neither here nor there what those guys are doing. Um, he was a young player when I, when I played with him in Venezuela. This was back in 04, 05. And uh, obviously he's been a bench coach now for years uh, under Boone. And um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. That's, well, that's not, not where I would have went. But it, I guess it makes sense in this day and age where the, uh, the front office has way more control as yep. to what's going on inside the dugout than uh, they, did, they, they did in years past. Yeah, and it's a good point. And let's just get this out of the way. The Mets have hired now five different managers in six seasons. And five, four of those five were first-time managers. The only one that wasn't was Buck Showalter. You had Beltron, 77 days, and then the whole cheating scandal came out. Luis Rojas, before that was Mickey Calloway. Buck, now uh, Carlos Mendoza, first-time manager. Um that's a lot of freaking managers in a six-year span. I mean, you can't have – you only could have one more. I mean, that's insane. So here we are, first-time manager. Now, yes, bench coach to Brett Boone uh, – Brett Boone – to Aaron Boone. And it's not like the uh, Yankees have been doing well. You know, they actually had a horrible year last year not making the playoffs, and they haven't won crap since 2009. Um, but everyone says that Mendoza is ready for it. They'll say that for every first-time manager. I get it. I wonder what you know, Eric Chavez thinks about that, if he's ready for it or not. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you brought up a good point. Managers, the front offices take over now in this day and age. Analytics, David Stearns is very analytical. And it, even Buck said when he was fired, he, he aired some laundry out. He wasn't making the lineups. It was the front office analytical department. Well, I was going to say something about that because I feel like uh... – they had the old school, old manager, even though he didn't play in the major leagues, he was an all American in college and he's already established himself as a manager. I believe he was handcuffed quite a bit. And I think the difference between his say from year one to his say in year two was quite different. Um, I'm sure that he probably didn't agree with the no batting practice or the, uh, or the guys not coming out and, um, and getting yep. ready. But I think the analytics for some reason were telling him, that they, that's the way you got to go about things. I don't know, man. I think baseball is in a weird, a weird place where people yeah. that didn't play are telling people that played how to, uh, how to do things. I don't, and, I don't get it. I, it doesn't make sense to me. It never will. I'm with you. Back in the days where you know we sound like two old men when we were you were playing and I was watching. You know, it was Bobby Valentine was making the lineup cards for the Mets and and everything about it. There was no analytical department. You know, punching up the lineup card and then him you know, writing it. Now it is. And I think that's what helped Carlos Mendoza get this job because, well, he's under Brett Boone for four years and the Yankees are literally obsessed with analytics. So he was a perfect candidate for David Stearns who wants to control what he can, which is honestly everything. If he chooses. It seems that way. It seems that way. What I don't understand is this, <clears throat> the guys that did play, and they pay attention. You're basically telling them that they don't know what they're looking at. And then their experience means absolutely nothing. And the fact that somebody that didn't play who can crunch numbers, you're telling me that the person that did play isn't capable of looking at a spreadsheet or looking at um, statistics and making his own decisions uh, through 
the numbers as well as experience. So again, like I said, I'm never going to understand it. Maybe it's not for me to understand anymore. Yeah. Imagine Buck Walter who's been in this business forever, you know, handing, giving him a lineup card, telling him who to play. And then also you have to go with this game plan in mind or you're, you know, this is why we hired you. This is the deal. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Buck Walter can remember what so-and-so did against so-and-so yeah. for so-and-so many times. Right. That's why you used to pay a manager. It was for him to know those things through him sitting in the dugout and watching and then him watching video and watching scouting reports and watching things that are going on. So I don't know where it went. It went it went a different direction. And you're basically telling the guys that are the dumb jocks that they're just dumb jocks. Yeah. And it seems like to me. So, I mean, that helped Mendoza, obviously, with analytical department, you know, and all that. And I, I hate to put it this way because, you know, we don't know all the facts, but managers lately are puppets to the analytical department and whoever else the powers that may be. And um, now while I hear all the good things about Mendoza, he's sharp, he's intelligent, he's been through it all, you know, I get it. But like I said before, he's not been through it all. Right. He hasn't. He hasn't, he hasn't played in the major leagues and he hasn't managed yet. Exactly. So the only thing that I could do at this point is accept David Stearns' decision because if I put it this way, if I trust David Stearns and Steve Cohen to hire David Stearns, then I have no choice. And I look like a coward if I can't trust David Stearns in his first big move as the president of baseball operations. Yeah, I think this is a big move for him. This is a big Huge. step. And um, you earn trust. I don't know if trust has been earned yet. We're still getting to know each other here a little bit. Uh, so this is a, a big step. And obviously it's also sending a huge message as to what's going on and who's going to really be in control. So um, he is taking a roll of the dice and it's either going to pay off for him or it's not. Right. So, I mean, manager had to be get done. It did. We knew it would. I will put faith in David Stearns and his decision. I also will tell you that what is most important over that, not that manager is not a big deal because it is. Look at Bruce Bochy and look what the Rangers did. Um, and the Astros the year before with Dusty and all that. The free agency started, you know, this week. And those are the bigger moves that I think obviously will shape a World Series roster. So we are under officially underway of 2024 free agency. Um, no, no moves have been made. You know, and the bigger moves usually come in the beginning, mid to uh, December, uh, after the during uh, around uh, the winter meetings. But a little news in Metland, uh, just in terms of uh, opt-ins and opt-outs, you have Brooks Raley, who the Mets picked up the club option of six and a half million dollars team option. That's a no-brainer. Uh, he pitched well last year, lefty. You know, and he was one of, one of the rare players who actually pitched well in the beginning of the year when they were competing. You know, so I'm glad to have Rally back. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Adovino actually opted out of his $7 million contract, which was surprising. But words come out now that he tried to rearrange and renegotiate that contract uh, with deferred money and this and that. And the Mets said no. So he declined it. And now Adovino is a free agent. So what that tells me, Bill, other than Rally and Edwin Diaz, who still is a question mark, because he hasn't pitched since 2022, coming off the knee, they have an entire bullpen to fill. That's a lot of work. 
Yeah, they got a lot of work to do. They got a lot of work to do in a lot of categories. Obviously, the first thing, first peg is in order. You know, first block has been <laughs> been put in there with the uh, hiring of the manager. And now they, uh, they're they going to have to start putting together a ball club. And, a lot and honestly, as, as a Met fan, I'm, I'm happy. I shouldn't say happy, but I'm not sad <laughs> to see Adovino go. Once they implemented the pitch clock, uh, Adovino could not hold a base runner for the life of it. You know, he couldn't do it before the pitch clock was uh, uh, implemented. And not even the pitch clock. I must, I must uh, I misspoke. More of the throwing Pick over three rules. times the first yeah. case of all that. I think, so, that's the, I think that's actually going to be, and I think we might have mentioned it, that's going to be a big yeah. shift that you're going to see over the next, uh, hopefully it's got to be uh, the next year because the pitchers are going to have to make an adjustment back and it's obviously going to be back to um, quickening quickening the delivery. And that's something that obviously ought to be no struggled with. Yeah, so other than basically an entire bullpen, uh, half the lineup, uh, you know, 60% of a starting rotation, an entire bench, you know, that's light work for one person in David Stearns. No worries. Yeah, it makes you a little concerned, especially after watching the teams that were playing in the playoffs and seeing where they're at and they're, you know, kind of solid in their their rosters right now. And uh, the Mets are definitely have a lot of question marks and it's a lot of voids to fill. But there is a reason Steve Cohen hired Stearns. Stearns is a general manager at face value, you know, player of baseball operations to everyone listening. Honestly, it's just a fancier fucking name to say GM. That's all <laughs> it, it really is. And then people will say, well, what does the GM do? Well, it's the bitch work that the player of baseball operations doesn't want to do. That's what right. it is. Full, full stop, you know. Um, so, again, I trust Cohen to trust Stearns to make this roster work. You know, fingers they crossed. Have the, they have all the resources to do so. Yeah. Um, and with free agency starting now, at any moment, you know, there could be a signing. I doubt it here in November, uh, but you never know. I mean, you know how it goes. Dominoes usually fall when the big guys fall, and that is Otani, Yamamoto, the bigger stars. And once that happens, everything falls after that. So whenever that happens, it happens. Yeah. And I think that they, uh, even the big name guys kind of wait for the first big name to drop before they, uh, yeah. you know, so it's like a little bit of a standoff. Uh, and then once it get the ball gets rolling, but you're right. You know, winter meetings is usually when things really, really heat up and uh, the hot stove gets going. Yeah. Uh, and also it was said, I brought up uh, GM in the Mets. David Sturge was quoted uh, his first day in Arizona at the GM meetings that there will be no GM for the Mets. They will not search. He will be the, GM, if you will, which I just said what it means. They don't have the quote-unquote time. They have other things to worry about, which is true, like building an entire roster in the offseason. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, absolutely agree. They uh, they, they don't have time for that. they got to start getting to work and start filling the roster out. Yep. Uh, other news that came out, which uh, is, is big, more so for the fans. Uh, Steve Cohen announced a proposal on Tuesday about what is called the metro, what it's called, he's proposing the Metropolitan Park. I don't know if you saw this. I uh, did. It is eight billion dollars invested from Steve over fifty acres of land, and it will be twenty acres of parking space, which I believe would be a garage, parking garage, which sucks. Uh, you know, <laughs> people who have uh, you know know where the park and all that under the White Stone Express. You know, I won't go there. Can't. We give out that secret. Yeah. I actually there. know that area. <laughs> yeah. But uh, other things, just to list them off so people who are not familiar, uh, it is also, it's called uh, Entertainment Complex and Infrastructure 
Uh, the centerpiece around it, a casino and a hotel subject to New York gaming licensing, which is a huge moneymaker, of course, and deal. Uh, bars, restaurants, uh, hotel towers, the sports book, a playground, bike pass, and this is the big one, a, a renovated and accessible train station, which only could help mass transit. transit. Uh, Queens Hall uh, uh, food space and a live music venue. So he's trying to basically turn all the auto body shops that we see behind Shea Stadium back in the day and City Field now into, you know, Disneyland, <laughs> you yeah. know, whatever. An, an attraction. I think it's great. I mean, obviously it sucks yeah. for the businesses that are going to be there, but uh, we all can agree that it's it's a little bit of an eyesore and it's not the best uh, – when you see the stadium, it's not like, and this is one thing I always, always liked about Coors Field. It's almost like Coors Field was, when you go there, there's bars, there's restaurants, yeah. there's everything all around the stadium. So it it brings people in before games. It keeps people there after games. I think it's a tremendous idea, and I think it's exciting, and uh, hopefully it, it comes to fruition. And um, it would make the going to Flushing more of an attraction for, uh, for non-baseball fans as well as baseball fans to go there and, and see the yeah. whole – thing and get food and drink and and, and, and enter entertainment i think it's all positive stuff chicago has that you know yeah, yeah, yeah. the restaurant exactly. bars uh it's a good look and it's a good point by you for even non-bet fans now it could be an attraction yeah, hey, it, let's it, grab a, exactly a bite and eat and a drink and catch a mickey and then go catch a ball game exactly exactly i think it's great you know it'll take time obviously it's just a proposal uh He's been talking about it for years, ever since he took over, which is three years ago, almost to the day, where it's like, well, if you need your muffler, you know, worked on, come to our ballpark. No, he wants to build, like you said, an attraction. So yep. it came out today exactly what it would be. They already have a field being made for, I believe, an MLS uh, soccer team right nice. next to it. Uh, that's a big deal, too. So. Uh, he doesn't just own the Mets. He's trying to make the whole landscape of what, like back in 64 with the World's Fair, you know, an Arthur Ashe Stadium, a whole big, you know, attraction for so many different people. It's nice to see. Fantastic. Fantastic. Let's go uh, into our favorite segment. Uh, we know what that is. It's called the Mailbag. Yes, sir. And every week we ask our followers on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Shay underscore hello on Twitter or formerly known as Twitter called X now and Shay hello media on Instagram. Uh, if you have any questions for us, mainly Bill, please ask them on uh, reply to the tweet uh, and we will read them live on the air. True to our word, we are going to do that once again. You ready, Bill? I'm ready. Should we start with your boy again? Absolutely. Let him know All that right. his, uh, let him know that his, his mail has been returned as well. All right. Definitely will. Uh, that's very nice of you, and uh, I definitely will let him know. Uh, NYMGI. Hey, Bill, with several Japanese pitchers rumored to come over, I was wondering what it's like for them to come over, and do certain players try to get more involved? How does one take their time to get uh, acclimated or uh, become a member of the team, and how does that work out for coming from a different country? Yeah, I think it's um, obviously you have Latino players and then Asian players and yeah. American players and obviously some other countries thrown in there. Um, Japanese and Asian players are a little bit different than the um, the Latin players. The Latin players tend to have a little bit more flair where the Asian players are usually a little bit more subdued. But um, I think the majority of everybody always tries to 
reach a hand out and try to talk. And my, my way was always trying to learn a few words, you know, in the, in their language and try to help them maybe learn a few words in English and then yeah. something maybe you can joke about, um, you know, to have that, that, that connection. Uh, I played with the day Onomo. I played with, um, quite a few Korean guys as well. Every single one of them was a gentleman. Every single one of them was a, a professional, never, never a bad guy uh, in the bunch. And, um, uh, I think, like I said, I think the majority of people try to ingrain themselves or endear themselves to their their new teammates. Obviously, a language barrier is tough, but they do have the interpreter around. So you like to try to get to know the interpreter as well as you can. Yeah. So you can kind of joke around with him to pass the jokes along. And then um, I have noticed that a lot of the Asian guys have a tendency to be very interested in trying to learn as much English as they can. They do say English is a difficult language to understand or to learn, but um like I said, definitely try to get the guys integrated as soon as, as possible. So you played with Hideo Novo, I believe, with the Brewers in 99. Is that right? Yeah, and the and, and 01 with the uh, the Red Sox. Okay. Yep. And, uh, you know, he, had, he, he was a special player, you know, coming over from Japan. Uh, I, I read something today about uh, David Stearns just wanting to talk with Kodai Senga. Perfect example. In Japan, they're used to four days off than have their start, which, you know, uh, is different than here, which... Five days. Five days. Yeah. So it's four, you know, four it's states. Six-man yep. six rotation, you know, right. basically. They, they would, it, it would, Kodai would be different than anyone else. So Sturge wanted to talk over because, well, Yamamoto would be the same thing. So you got 40% of your starting pitchers who cannot go until every sixth day. Then, well, you know, there's going to come up. There's going to come a point where that's the case now because of the minor leagues as well. So what are we going to do? It's. I think that the. It's looking like, it's going to be a six man rotation at some point in time because they play six days during the week in the minor leagues now. And I don't know. Maybe they do still keep you on once every five days, and I guess every turn you maybe get an extra day, which isn't bad. But um, yeah, it's definitely a um, a getting used to because there's been plenty of times in my career where that fourth day. You're thinking, oh, my God, how in the world am I going to pitch tomorrow? My body feels like <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah. There's no way I'm going to be ready to go. And then some days, that very next day, you, you come back and you feel great. And then there's other times where, oh, shit, I didn't recover. I'm still still battling. Yeah, I, I hear you. So uh, that I think that's all encompassed about coming over from other countries and the language barrier and even you know going every fifth or sixth day. So uh, good question, once again, from NYMGI. Uh your mail's received and returned back. I'll get that uh, information over to you. And uh, thanks again for the question. I will move on. A couple more questions we have. This one's from Jake. Uh, Bill, were you ever ejected in a game? And if not, or even if you have, do you have any funny stories about any of that? I was never ejected in the in the major leagues. I was ejected in the minor leagues and in independent ball. Um, mostly, obviously, for arguing balls and strikes. As right. a pitcher, um, I do have a little funny story about well, I was coaching actually in independent baseball and I was a pitching coach uh, in Winnipeg. And I had had an issue with the uh, the balls and strikes pretty much all game. It got late in the game and uh, tight game. And uh, I thought a, a curveball was called a strike. It probably went around the plate and was a ball, but I had had enough. Uh, so I made a big stink about it. And I always thought, you know what? I remember as a kid, Earl Weaver and uh, the guys, the, the managers that would, you know, get thrown out of games. 
uh, kicking dirt over home plate. Lou so Pinella, Billy Martin. Billy yeah. Martin. Yeah, Billy Martin. I was drawing a blank there, but that's what I wanted to say, Billy Martin. Uh, so I decided, you know what? I'm going to go classic. I'm going to run out there. I'm going to tell him that we don't need this plate anyway because you can't see it anyway. So, and I, I, you know, I did the the classic kick dirt over home plate, and that was uh, that was my my best and funniest ejection, I guess. So you you kick dirt over it to make it disappear like it wasn't. There. Well, I said it doesn't matter anyway because you're not using the plate anyway, so it doesn't matter whether get, you can see it or not. Yeah, I get it. Classic. Yeah. Uh, Good story. Good question. Thank you, Jake. We'll move on. We got a couple couple more we'll get to. Uh, Jimmy Lags wants to know, Bill, uh, best pitcher you ever saw. Now, I don't know what he means by that, so we can interpret it as played with, uh, saw as a fan growing up. Take it as you will. I'll, I'll just do it as um, who I saw personally in, in the ballpark from a dugout or from the batter's box. Okay. Uh, I would say the the nastiest guy I ever saw, not in the, not in the uh, batter's box, would be Randy Johnson. You know, I saw him throw a 13-14 strikeout, two-hit shutout in Houston when he got traded to Houston right. in 99 in the Astrodome. And I thought, how in the world does anybody hit that? Uh, another one would be Billy Wagner. The first time I saw Billy Wagner in person from the dugout, again, how in the world does anybody hit that? Right. Uh, the nastiest, uh, best pitcher I ever saw from the batter's box would be Pedro. And okay. he was everything, you know, everything and some. And being a pitcher where you're not known for hitting anyway, I really stood no chance. Um, second nastiest that I saw from the batter's box would have been Kevin Brown. And he had just uh, phenomenal stuff. Heavy, hard movement, you know, yeah. a lot of sink. Uh, yeah. And just a nasty son of a bitch, too. Yeah, all those pictures, man. I couldn't imagine being in the batter's box facing any one of them, you know? Yeah, so, scary. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to assume you never got a hit off of any of them or anything. I didn't get hit off of those guys. I did no. not, no. Do you remember your first hit? I do. Uh, uh, I mean, one off the I hit a double over uh, Dante Bichette's head at Shea Stadium. You still have the ball? Somewhere. Yeah, okay. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. That's and even in his, and when I ran into second base, they played my walkout song, which at the time was "Even in His Youth" by Nirvana, and I think Fred Wilpon was pissed off because it's a pretty, it's a pretty heavy, heavy tune. If you if you have time, check out "Even in His Youth." I will, and uh, let's not go there. <laughs> With no, it's just Wilpon. heavy, heavy, you know, yeah, heavy, yeah. heavy. I don't want to well, say I, heavy metal because it, you know Nirvana wasn't metal, but it, it's a heavy song. I totally get it. I get it. Um, last question. We have time for one more. Jeff Cohen. Uh, he has a question for you. Uh, hey, Bill, I heard the Mets, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, I heard the Mets were overusing their pitchers in the minor leagues. Do you subscribe to that assessment? Uh, you know, I meant to, I saw this question. I meant to look into the innings pitched for uh, for the pitchers this year in the minor leagues, uh, and I forgot. But um, I'll tell you this, it ain't anywhere close to what I was doing when I was throwing 200 innings in a minor league season. Uh, I know that the majority of um, minor leagues, the the organizations now trying to keep their guys between 75 and 100 innings in a season and pretty much shut them down. Uh, I don't know about nowadays. I could look back in my time and say, looking back, obviously, probably overused, uh, too young, never blaming anybody, though, because when you get the ball and you're a competitor, you want to go out there and you want to try to finish what you started. You're, you're at least shooting for seven innings. I think what um, we saw that obviously baseball's changed, especially in the playoffs. We're having 
uh, in the major leagues. We're having we're having bullpen games in the playoffs. Crazy, which is which is a shame. But uh, I highly doubt they're overusing their pitchers. I think that the my elbow and Izzy's elbow and Wilson's elbow and shoulder and that I think that that was a, a turning point. And I think if anything, pitchers are probably a little underused now, and they're more throwers. And uh, they they try to protect you know for injury, but unfortunately, when you're just a thrower and you're max effort all the time, that injuries have a tendency to happen just as much, if not more. Yeah, I, I, I know. Uh, I, I wouldn't agree with that assessment from you know uh, whatever whoever's saying that that they overuse their pitchers. I highly doubt it. No, I mean they they have they track everything, you know. Yeah. And so innings pitched is number one, you know, and and that includes bullpens, you know, times you're throwing on the mound. To warm up anything, so I, yep. I highly doubt. You know, I highly doubt it too. Yeah. If anything, uh, I would think it would probably tend to lean towards the not overuse size as a side as opposed to the overuse side. Yeah, totally agree. So, good question, Jeff Cohen. Uh, thank you all for the questions to Bill. Uh, that completes the segment of the mailbag. Again, if you have any questions for us, uh, every podcast you can uh, uh, ask us at Shay underscore hello on Twitter. Formerly known as X, or Twitter, now called X. Thank you all for the questions. Let's move on to our last segment, Bill's favorite. Actually, I don't know what's your favorite, mailbag or quick pitches. The whole thing is my favorite. Uh, That's a very PC answer. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's go with three questions. Bill doesn't know what they are. He doesn't know what's coming. And uh, we'll start with number one. Bill, what are two things still on your bucket list that you would like to accomplish? Accomplish or do? Do accomplish whatever you would like. Whatever I would like to go to Peru and see Machu Picchu and Sacsayhuaman and Cusco. I'd like to see that. Um, I'd like to become a grandfather and get to help raise my grandkids. (laughs) Perfect. Those those are good good answers, and I hope they come to fruition. Number two, number two, what rule do you live by, if at all? Do you have a rule of uh, advice that someone gave you that you cl- keep close to your heart? The rule that you, you know, keep close to your heart? Uh, I think, uh, and I'm not a really religious guy or a Bible guy, but I think that uh, do unto others uh, as you would like done unto you. I think that's a good yeah. one, you know. That's a, I think that's a good rule to live by. Yeah, treat others like you would like to be treated. To be treated, you know, don't, yeah. don't tread on anybody else, you know. Leave everybody, yeah. you know, you don't want anybody treading on you. Don't tread on anybody else. And, totally uh, agree. You know, treat yeah. people how you would like to be treated. Life is not a straight and narrow path, you know. No, so it's not. Ups and downs and, you know, everyone's going through something at different points. So treat right. people like you would be treated. I totally respect that. Thank you. Last question. What is the best gift you ever received in your life from anyone? Uh, my children from my wife. Wow, that's. I hope she listens to that. That's a great answer. And your kids. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, <laughs> end of story. Like, lock down on the quick pitches on that. Perfect there answer. There you go. And I know Thanks. it's true. So, uh, good. That was uh, quick pitches. And, and Bill they were quick today, out. too. What was that? They were quick today, too. Yeah, they, they, they fully got quick pitches lived up to its name. <laughs> so, uh that's going to do it for episode uh, 14, the Shay Hello podcast by rootsdashrecordings.com. Uh, 14 in the books. I know Bill won't be with us 
uh, next week as Bill is going to Vets Fantasy Camp as, what do they call you when you go over there, an instructor? A coach. Coach. A coach? Yeah. Okay. Although uh, you really don't use the word coach in uh, uh, in pro ball. You don't call your coach your coach. You know, you usually go by your nickname or, or your name. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we're we're coaches down there. Okay. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a fun. It's fun every year. I'm so so blessed and so lucky to to have this opportunity uh, and to get to to know a lot of Mets fans and get to see some of my old teammates and some of my heroes uh, from when I was growing yeah. up. So it's a it's a blast every year, and I look forward to it every year. Yeah, Port St. Lucie, get out of the, the New York, whatever, you know, middle season, if you will, not too hot. Not it's too actually cold. like back to my old home. You know, I lived in St. Lucie for years and years and years. Yeah. So it's always special for me to – and I grew, I feel like I grew up there because, you know, at 17, I, yeah. I signed and I was down in the minor league clubhouse. So when I go back there, it brings back a lot of memories oh, and sure. a lot of nostalgia. Hang out with a bunch of former teammates or guys that you see all the time yeah. when you go there. I actually – a quick, quick story because I know we're we're gonna wrap this up. Um, when Buck came in, he changed all the numbers to all the fields to the minor league complex, and uh, I'm interested to see if they change them back because those fields were there before Buck, and those fields are there after Buck, and they were originally numbered a certain way. And one thing we know about Buck was Buck is very tedious uh, about the way he likes to have things. So I have a friend in the. Uh, that works for the the grounds crew, and when when Buck got let go, I asked him, "You think they're going to change the the name the numbers of the fields back?" And he says they haven't yet. But I'm hopeful that they change everything back to the way Port St. Lucie was when 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 it all started over there. Yeah, I actually remember them talking about that and then doing it. I've been at spring training in Port St. Lucie as a fan for the last three years, uh, and then when I was uh, growing up, five years in a row around the time little after that you were playing uh, as a Met. But uh, great times over there. So yeah, yeah. have a blast at Mets Fantasy Camp. Enjoy the sunshine. And uh, we'll have you back, I guess, in two weeks or so uh, on the Shalo podcast. Bring back a tan for us, please. I'll have at least my face and my arms. I can't guarantee the rest of the body. <laughs> I know. But no, I don't see Bill Pulse for walking around, uh, you know, uh, what, what's it called? Clover Park, just in, uh, with no shirt on, you know? <laughs> no, those, those days are done. Those days are done. It probably happened in the past, but it ain't happening anymore. <laughs> thank God. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, that's going to wrap it up. So I want to thank, uh, of course, Bill Pulsifer, uh, Steve White, our producer behind the scenes, everyone listening on Spotify, Google, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, of course. And, uh, of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, we try to be better looking, but there's not much we can do about it unless we want to pay a lot of money. Uh, and that, of course, well, if even that are, doesn't work. <laughs> if you are on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button if you enjoyed what you just saw and heard. Uh, again, brought to you by Roots-Recordings.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Any last words, Bill, before you take off to the sunny skies of the Sunshine State? Same thing. Thanks for everybody uh, for listening, and I hope everybody enjoyed. Well said. Thanks again for everyone listening. We'll catch you next week on the Shea Little Podcast. Be safe and have a great rest of your day, everybody.